are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. What if years from now, you would say to someone, on August the 11th, 2019, I went to church on Sunday morning, and God spoke to me, and I decided to begin a practice that I was not involved in. And that was the beginning of my life changing. Wouldn't that be awesome? So that's what I've been praying this week, that God would do something powerful in some of our hearts. We're talking about values. And when we talk about values, I'll just give you a a definition, okay? Here we go. It's a person or a society's beliefs about what things are important. So, So I guess I should ask you, what do you value? And another way that I could ask that, Based on the definition would be, so what's important to you? And so I got a feeling if I look over here at mid-high and high school students, I'm going to get some answers. Hey, gang, if I go toward college students who will be back in a couple of weeks, I'll get some answers. Um, Some young adults would give me some other answers, maybe young parents, people in their midlife, seniors. We'd all have kind of different responses, but all of us would say, okay, here are the things that are really important to me. These are the things that I value. Now, I'm not really, you know, looking for an argument here. I'm going to make a statement. And I'm so convinced that the statement is true that uh, I, I don't even know if I'm looking for a discussion. Here's what I believe. I believe, well, I've jumped ahead, I think, and I'm sorry. We believe that, I believe rather, that we invest our time and energy in what's important to us. That's what I believe. That, that we, we, we just invest our time and our energy in what is important to us. So if you say to me, hey, Pastor Rick, you know what's really important to me? I think that uh, taking care of homeless people is really important. And so I would ask you, so tell me how you spend your time and your energy in taking care of people who are homeless. And if you say, well, I really don't have time to do anything like that, I would say then I don't I don't know that that's really important to you. You may think it should be important, but it doesn't really seem to be important. And if we talk about what you do spend your time on, then I would say, I think I've discovered something. I think I know what's important to you. It's wherever you're spending your time and your energy and your resources. We invest our time and our energy in what's important. Do you mind going back to that other slide? As Christians, we have values, and we talk a lot about these here at Bethany First Church. We value time with God. We would say as a follower of Jesus, time with God is very important. It was very important to Jesus. I think Jesus would say to you today, what you're doing right now, coming together here to worship together, I did that every week when I was on the earth. I never stopped doing that. Time with God's really important, coming together to worship. And Jesus would also say, I kept slipping off to pray. That was very important to me. He immersed himself in the Scripture And he prayed because time with God was something that was very valuable to Jesus. We're going to talk today about time with one another. What do you mean by that? I'm talking about spending time with other believers, other Christians. And one of the practices that we use to do that is what we call group life, okay? We also believe that time with others. What do you mean by others? I mean people who are not yet followers of Jesus. We just kind of live our lives with our arms open saying, come on, you can hang out with me. We should be friends. I'm not talking about a fake friendship. I'm talking about a real friendship where you and I hang out 
have real deep friendships with people who don't know Jesus. That's really important to us. We also value living generously. And the practice that we talk about there is how that we say yes when God calls us to serve and how we give of our resources. Okay. So when I look at Jesus' life, and that's what we're doing over these next few weeks, let's just talk about Jesus. Let's just study how Jesus lived. Let's just look at what Jesus did, okay? And when I look at Jesus' life, here is what I find in Jesus. He spent time with believers. Time with believers was important to Jesus. Very important. You say, hey, Rick Harvey, how in the world do you know what was important to Jesus? Because I study his life and I watch how he spent his time. And you're going to see this morning as the Scripture unfolds, Jesus spent a lot of time hanging out with believers. And so if I want to be like Jesus, and why not? I mean, if you're going to shoot, shoot for the moon, right? If you're going to aspire, aspire for the highest. If you want to be like somebody, why wouldn't you want to be like Jesus? And so if I want to be like Jesus, I think I should value what Jesus valued and spend my time on what Jesus spent his time on. You like that? So we're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, okay? You remember Luke has this idea. He's hearing all this teaching about Jesus, and Luke says, I'm going to go perform my own investigation. What does he mean by that? Here's what he means. I'm going to go find people who are still living, who saw Jesus, who heard Jesus preach, teach, and heal, watched him heal, who actually saw him die and then, and then met him after the resurrection. Because I want to know for certain all the stuff that we're being taught. I don't want secondhand knowledge. I mean, I want to know for certain. And so, he says, I did my own investigation. I went and met all of these eyewitnesses. And then he writes everything down in a book, and we call it the Gospel of Luke. And so, he tells the story of the life of Jesus based on firsthand eyewitnesses. And so I'll I'll tell you a story. Jesus is in the synagogue on the Sabbath. I was in Israel uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, when you're in Israel uh, and you're in the Jewish community there, uh, the greeting is not hi or hello or hey. (laughs) The greeting is shalom. And so you just learn to say that after a few days when you see people, everybody that passes you says shalom and you say shalom. That's hello. When you get ready to leave them, You say, shalom, which means goodbye. Shalom. You know what shalom means? It's peace. Balance, peace, every area of your life at peace. Except on the Sabbath, from sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday, you don't say shalom. You say Shabbat shalom, which means peaceful Sabbath. Or, may you have the peace that the Sabbath brings. And so it is on the Sabbath. It's Shabbat Shalom. Jesus is in the synagogue. Pharisees, teachers of the law, are in the synagogue as always. People are in the synagogue. They've come to worship. And there's a man there, and his hand is shriveled. We know that he needs healing. And all the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are very curious. They don't know what Jesus is going to do. And they're wondering what he's going to do. Because, not in the Scripture, but in the scribal law or the rabbinical law, it would be unlawful. This is what 
teachers of the Scripture have decided is right and wrong, okay? Not Scripture. What they believe and how they interpret the Scripture. They've decided that the hill on the Sabbath is wrong. And they're wondering if Jesus is going to do it in the synagogue of all places. And so Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, like he knows what I'm thinking all the time, he says to the man, go stand in front of everyone. And this guy with the shriveled hand gets up and he stands in front of everybody. And Jesus looks at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and he says, you tell me what is right on the Sabbath, to give life or to destroy it? And immediately, the man's shriveled hand was healed. And they were furious. (laughs) I'm happy for the guy. But they were furious. And so Jesus realizes opposition is rising. Right? And he begins to organize himself in such a way, knowing that his life on this earth is short... And that there's going to have to be other people who carry the work on after he's gone. And so he begins this process of calling his twelve. And that's where we are in Luke chapter 6. And here's what happens. On one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. Now you tell me, why did Jesus go out to a mountainside to pray? Because he valued time with God. One-on-one time with God. Jesus would say, that was my life. When I lived this life, when I was on this earth, that's what I did. I prayed. I spent one-on-one time with the Father. Look, look at this. And he spent the night praying to God. I've never in my life spent the whole night praying, but Jesus did. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. You understand, as Jesus had a major decision to make, what was ever more important to him was that he spends time with the Father. This is where he gets his guidance and his direction. And this is where you and I get our guidance and direction. And this is why last week I talked to you so much about the importance of you and me spending one-on-one time with God as well as time with God in a sanctuary like this with others, okay? So, whom he had designated as apostles. The word apostles mean someone who is sent out. These are going to become his representatives, okay? Simon, he names them, who he named Peter. His brother Andrew, remember they were fishermen. He met them at the Sea of Galilee. James and John, they were kind of partners in fishing with Simon, Peter, and Andrew, sons of Zebedee. Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, you remember he was a tax collector. His name was Levi. Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus. Simon, who was called the Zealot, means a nationalist, maybe even a radicalized nationalist, all about the Jewish race, very much against the Roman state. Judas, the son of James. Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And what Jesus does is he begins to spend incredible time investing his life in these 12 men. Jesus did group life. He hung out with this group all the time. I was uh, in my office on Friday and I spent some time, about two hours with a man who's been a part of our church for many years and he's going through the most difficult season of his life. He didn't bargain for this. 
He didn't ask for this. Nobody saw this coming. And, and as we talked about how God was bringing him through this very difficult time, do you know what he talked to me about? He talked to me about people. Most everybody that he brought up is a part of our church. And he talked about God is bringing me through this most devastating season of my life because of these people he put in my life. They're walking with me through this very difficult time. In fact, this guy, a stranger to him, says to him, do you have anybody to walk with you through this very difficult season of your life? And he said, I threw my head back and I laughed and I said, you have no idea how many people are waiting to walk with me through this difficult season of life. I just want to say something very simply, very clearly to you. You and I desperately need each other. And if right now you're not aware of how much you need these people in your life, there will come a season of your life where you will say, Oh, wow, I really do need these people in my life. And if you ask Jesus, Hey, man, tell me something. When you were on this earth, you know, how did you do life? I think Jesus would respond to you by saying... I hung out with a lot of people. I had a lot of people in my life. I never, ever tried to go solo. I never, ever tried to do this alone. You can't live this life on an island. You cannot do it in isolation. What I did, I think Jesus would say to you, is I surrounded myself with some awesome people. And I did life with those people. And so, I'd love just to kind of walk you through some of that conversation, okay, as we find it. In the Gospel of Luke, then Jesus said to Simon, this is when he first meets him, don't be afraid, from now on you're going to fish for people. And so they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and they followed Jesus. I understand it was a cultural norm for rabbis to have disciples who went with them all the time. But you can kind of get this sense, this feeling of Jesus kind of just saying, hey, come on, just go with me, just Hang out with me. We'll just we'll do life together. We'll just we'll just be together. Just come on. I mean, what if somebody said to you, I think I'm just gonna follow you the rest of your life? I'd be like, Are you like following me to my house at night? I mean, what do you mean by this, you know? Look at look at this. The least expecting person that you can imagine. Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector. A tax collector. This guy is despised. He's probably crooked. He's aligned himself with the state of Rome that is putting all of this oppression on his people. Levi, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said. Jesus just had this kind of, you know, go with me. Let's hang out. Let's just do life together. Levi got up, left everything, and he followed him. Next verse is helpful. What it shows us is that Jesus appointed the twelve that they might be with him. You understand Jesus' heart? I'm calling these twelve because I want them to be with me. And that they might, that he might rather send them out to preach. Well, but he had disciples. Rabbis had disciples. Well, let's go further. Look at this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. You know, Jesus had some friends. And he used to go over to their house. Like you and I have friends. And we go over to their house. And he would eat, and he would hang out, and he would rest. We get a picture of that in the next verse. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. 
If you have this image that Jesus kind of just was out there by himself, that's the wrong image. I love this verse. You'll love this. Jesus traveled about from town and village to another. I know that he did that. Proclaiming the good news. We know he did that of the kingdom of God. We understand that. But listen, the twelve were with him. Oh, you mean they were always with him? Yes, but not only the twelve and some women. What do you mean some women? I mean who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Like who? Well, Mary called Magdalene. That's one from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, and Susanna. Read the next three words with me. And many others. What do you think that means? I think it means and many others. What I'm trying to say to you is that Jesus wasn't just living life alone. Jesus was saying, here's how I did life. I surrounded my life with a lot of people. And all of these people were with me. Do you mean like he had an entourage? I think kind of in a sort of a way, maybe. Jesus, Jesus didn't do life alone. Here's what I'm trying to say. Jesus did life in the context of close community. And if you think in your mind that all these people around Jesus was just so people could be invested in by Jesus, I think you're confused. If you don't think that Jesus, when he went over to Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house to eat a good meal and to kick back and to be with friends was not replenishing for him, I think you're misunderstanding. If, If you think that his relationship with guys like Peter and John wasn't replenishing in his life, I I think you're confused. I've talked to you a lot about a guy named John Wesley. So, so much of what John Wesley believed theologically, what he believed about God, has been such an influence on so many of our lives. And John Wesley in 18th century England, you know, people were leaving the rural areas and they were coming to London, to England, to the cities, Bristol, for work because it was the Industrial Revolution. Mills, factories, mines, business began to boom. And they could come to the cities and they could get a job and actually get paid. Now, they weren't paid a lot, but they were paid. Poverty was a big deal. These people were living on very little means, but they were making some money. The church was kind of sterile. Child labor was a big deal. Wesley, although he was a great Anglican and he loved his church... The needs were so great, he followed his friend George Whitfield not to preach in the churches, but he went to the open air to preach, like parks where there were heavily housed people around the factories. And he went out to the mining communities. And people started responding to Wesley's sermons. And they would come forward and they would ask Jesus to become their Lord and Savior. And Wesley said, what do I do with all of these people? He was very methodical. That's where the name Methodist come from. He was, came from. He was very organizational. And he said, let's form societies. What was a society? Well, it was all like church. It happened on Sunday night, not Sunday morning, because he went to the Anglican church on Sunday morning. But they built little chapels, societies, Methodist chapels. And maybe 100, 200 people would be a part of a society. And they would preach and they would sing and they would pray and read Scripture when they came together. And Wesley said, there's got to be more. And so he formed... Little cell meetings, class meetings, he called them. And that was about 12 or 15 people. In fact, Wesley said, if you want to come to a society, you have to be in a class meeting. 
And the truth of the matter is they kicked you out of the society if you didn't come to the class meeting. It was a requirement. And while it was a requirement, the Methodist movement grew by millions. Twelve, fifteen people would sit in a circle together and they would review the special, the general rules rather There's some things you should do, so do them. There's some things you shouldn't be doing, don't do them. They would receive an offering for the poor, and then the leader would look around the circle and he would ask a question. How is it with your soul? And everybody answered the question. They were honest with each other. They prayed for each other. Did life together. In fact, it was so meaningful that Wesley later said to his preachers, establish class meetings and form societies wherever you preach and have attentive hearers. For whenever we have preached without doing so, the word has been like seed by the wayside. We don't have a lot to show for it. There was a more popular preacher than Wesley. His name was George Whitfield. He had more people at his altars in those open-air preaching events than Wesley did. But Whitfield later said in life, My brother Wesley acted wisely. The souls that were awakened under his ministry, he joined in class and thus preserved the fruits of his labor. This I neglected. Listen to these words. And my people are a rope of sand. I don't know where they are. I don't have a Wesleyan movement to show you. I don't know what happened to them. See, when I look at Jesus, Jesus understood this value of let's let's get together and let's learn and grow and let me teach you. And so what happens when He calls the twelve, the Bible says in these next verses after the ones I read to you a moment ago, the next paragraph, that many disciples came around and and Jesus began to say, and Matthew says it this way, He began to teach, and what you have for the next few chapters is the Sermon on the Mount. And and that was Jesus' style. That's how He rolled with His disciples. He's always teaching them. He's always investing in them. One day, Jesus was with His disciples and they said, Hey, Jesus, could you teach us to pray? Jesus says, of course I could teach you to pray. Come on. And he says, when you pray, this is how you should pray. And he teaches them what has come to be known to us as the Lord's Prayer. That was what Jesus was doing with his disciples. And so what happens is you read the Gospels. Here's what you get over and over and over again. Over and over and over and over over again. Then Jesus said to his disciples. Jesus turned to his disciples and said, the twelve were with him. Those phrases just keep coming over and over again. Jesus just kept investing, investing, investing. And here's the point I'm trying to make. Jesus lived his life investing in others and allowing them to invest in him. Now, how do you do that? How do we do that? So one of the things that we focus heavily on here is what we call group life. We love all sizes of groups. We kind of base our group life on mid-sized discipleship groups. Like a Sunday school class. You say, what about small groups? Our mid-sized groups, now we're moving towards September, okay? 
Right after Labor Day, we really challenge hard. All of you mid-sized groups, break up into smaller groups, like groups of 8 or 10 or 12, so that there could be more intimacy in your discussions about your journey with God. We provide small group questions for you every week, every week of the year. But when we get to those mid-sized groups, we focus on discipleship. We're going to learn together. We focus on community. People know me. Because I want to be known and I want to be needed, right? And we focus on serving together. Man, it's amazing. The stories I'm hearing right now about what classes are doing, these mid-sized groups, they are serving all over the place, investing in their community. Here's what they're doing. They're praying together and saying, God, how can you use us? Where do you want us to serve? And this last week I heard so many stories as I've just gotten back off my sabbatical of what classes are doing together to serve the community. And do you know what happens to community? Within a class, when they start serving together, it goes up, 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 up. You see, one of the ways throughout my life that God has changed me, transformed me, is when I got with this group of people. And they started investing in me. And I began to invest in them. And all of a sudden, it became a method, a channel, a means of grace through which God changed my heart. As iron sharpens iron, men sharpen men. All right, I'm going to wrap it up here. Doug and Margaret Eaton are on-site coordinators for us in Iswatini, Africa. And Doug went to a meeting with some pastors down in the country of South Africa last week. And um, he actually sent a picture of the handwriting of a pioneer missionary to Africa named David Livingston. Okay? So what you're about to see in this moment is uh, worth the price of admission today. I promise you. Okay? Here we go. Here's what David Livingston said. Livingston said. The goal isn't to live forever. That's not the goal. The goal is to create something that will. Well, now you're getting your ink pens out and writing down. I see. Yeah. Just let it soak. The goal has never been to live forever. The goal is to create something that will. So you say, Rick, I've, I've, I've been living this Christian life, you know. But, but I've, never really, I've never really passed it on. I've never really, like, taught somebody else what I know. Okay, here's the bottom line. This is the question. Do you have a disciple? You got one? And if you say no, you may say the fear is that when I die, it just kind of dies. 
See, not, 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 not so with Jesus. <laughs> Did you hear the language when he chooses the disciples? He appoints them, designates them apostles. So you're the guys that I'm going to teach and train, and then I'm going to send you. And he says to them, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to be my witnesses, and I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Look at this right here, okay? Let me give you the next slide. The best leader is one who so prepares others for the future that when they depart, the cause continues because others have been trained. The best leader is Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He so prepared others for the future that when He departed, the cause continued because others were trained. When you begin to invest your life in others, I'm going to teach you what I know. You teach me what you know, you know. When you begin to take disciples along the way, when your life comes to an end, it doesn't mean the whole thing's going to die. It means it's just now ramping up, baby. Because i got all these other people. I mean, what would have happened if Jesus had not made disciples? When He died... The movement dies? No, no, no. That's not what's... No, I've, I've got these other guys in the wings. I've been investing in them. And they're going to carry my work on. God, make us disciple makers. So, do me a favor, would you? Would you, would you find this? Real quick for me, you were given this when you came in. We have announcements for you there. On the bottom, this is so helpful for us. It's a little card. You can just tear it off, okay? And you can just do that now if you like. And uh, what we have is a card that has many options for you. On one side, it says connect with us. You put your name, your address, phone number, whatever you need us to know. But the other side, I love it for lots of reasons. Uh, Prayer request. And I, I mean this. I'm telling you, folks, God has blessed us with this staff of pastors. And if you put a prayer request on here, these guys like it's they're, they're they're begging for these things. Give me some of those. I want to take some of those. I'm, I'm going to pray for these people this week. So if, if you want us to pray with you, please put a prayer request. People are going to be praying for your needs this week, I promise you. And then there's boxes to check. You may say, hey, I'm new here. Uh, you may say, I, I, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I want to be. Check the box. Somebody will respond to you and say, let's, let's have a conversation about how to become a follower of Jesus. What it means to follow Jesus. Here's what I'm interested in next steps. Um, I want to be baptized. I want to become a member. I'm interested in groups. There you go. Rick, you've been talking about group life today and how important it is to do life in community and to invest in others and others invest in you. I'm not in a group. So here we go. August the 11th, 2019. Um, I'm going to check that box. I'm going to put it in the connect box as I leave this morning or hand it to someone at one of the welcome desks. And so there you go. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to give this thing a try. And here's what's going to happen. We're going to call you up. We're going to talk to you about some groups that we think might fit you, whatever your age and interests are and everything else. And then we're going to say, if you would do this on Sunday morning, meet us at the coffee bar. Somebody will be there, and here's who's going to meet you. And they will walk with you to this group, this mid-sized group that meets on Sunday morning, this discipleship group, this class. And they'll introduce you to people, and they'll get you a cup of coffee and a donut. 
And then, and then we're going to call you back the next week and say, how did that go? Would you, would you want to try a different group? I said to Jake Garrett, our Connections pastor this week, tell me about the summer. He comes in my office. We sit down. And Jake, Jake says, here are nine families who are new to the church this summer who have gotten into discipleship groups already. Isn't that awesome? Just awesome. You go, Jake. It also has other options to serve. Maybe God is saying, say yes, I'm calling you to serve. So communicate with us every week with this card, will you? And when you leave today, connection box is read in the back, every entrance. And you can drop it off to someone in the foyer as well. You want to stand with me? As always, as always, we're going to sing. God's speaking to us. Let's respond to him. And you understand this, right? But I'm going to say it anyway. These altars here, for whatever reason you want to come and pray, they're always available to you. If you want to pray today, just come on down. Spend some time talking to the Lord. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.